Hi, everyone. Welcome to Horse Sense Street Smart Investing, the podcast. It is season two, and the Hodges brothers are here, Clark and Craig. Um, it has been a year, guys, since we launched the first episode of season one. Uh, what a year it's been. Uh, what did you expect in this last year? Or did things turn out as you expected? From Craig? Craig. <laughs> oh, you neither one me, of you want to yeah, answer. Thanks a lot. No, neither I'll, I'll one of it. you want to answer this it. question. No, I didn't. At the beginning of the year, I did not expect the worst six months um, in market history. I did not expect that. Um, and of course, we've 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 now, you know, experienced that. But, you know, this is probably my, I don't know, sixth one of these to go through in my career. And each one of them is a little bit different. But mm -hmm. As you go through them, you kind of learn, you know, that those are actually the opportunities in the market. Mm -hmm. uh, there's never been a time when the market's down 30 percent when it wasn't an opportunity. It's, uh, it's just going to take some time. Yeah, Clark, I know that that you both anticipated a correction as as the calendar page turned from December to January. Craig has said that this is not, and others have said the same thing, exactly what we expected, but every downturn is a little different. What would you say marks the biggest difference uh, when compared to other such shifts in the market into a bear market this time versus others that you've seen? It feels like a slow burn. You know, a lot of the, the bad markets you've gotten into in our history have been real sharp declines and real sharp inclines. Look at 2020 after COVID. But just from January on, it just kind of feels like it's just going down and down. People are getting less interested and less interested. And, and I think having going into a year where you know interest rates are going to go up, I think that's what a lot of people, financial advisors have said, hey, we're just going to kind of sit this one out because we know the effect of those interest rates is not good, generally speaking, on the markets. Yeah, I know that it, what's, what else is interesting about what's happened in the last year that does, doesn't really apply historically to um, changes in the market, say 10, 12, 15 years ago, is that people are talking about their accounts, their investments, their 401ks and so forth, not just to each other, but on public social forums like Twitter and like Facebook and some themes emerged. And among those themes was, what do I do? Do I get out? Do I, do I invest with someone else? Are you feeling those conversations and is it affecting business in terms of people stepping forward um, with a sense of panic when things change, especially younger, newer investors? Yeah, that's, it's very, very interesting. When markets tend to bottom, that's when most people capitulate and think they can't take the pain anymore and they end up getting out of the market in a lot of cases. I would say up until about a month ago, our phones were very, very quiet. We, we, we most people, because of uh, the news information that's a, that's available out there, don't call in like they used to before the you know the news flow was so you know easy to get to. Mm -hmm. But we've had just in the last month more calls than we fielded probably since the 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 uh, the pandemic decline. Really? Yes. And so uh, people are very very nervous, and and of course they're listening to the news, and most of the news is negative, and most of the pundits are negative. But that, that's just part of it. But you can typically know that you're getting close to a bottom when you see that that 
freak out by everyone and that capitulation. That's a comforting sign to me in you know the 35 years I've done this. When you see that, you know that you're pretty close to the bottom. The, the opposite is also true. When people are calling you and wanting to get into the market because things look so great, that's a time to be very, very cautious. So let's talk about that. There are people right now who may have gotten out as things were dropping or gotten out on a very bad day. And maybe they've seen a couple of good days and the market is starting to go up and they're not in it. And now they're thinking, when's the best time to get back in? You're having those conversations, I know, Clark, with, with potential clients. When they say things like, I'm waiting for the right time, I'm waiting for better timing, is there really such a thing? I don't think so. I mean, if you are not in the market and you're trying to time it, you've missed the last two days, which have been very good. So by getting out of the market and saying, I'm going to be able to pick and choose when I get back in, it's really not wise. And statistics tell you, you should always be invested if you want to do the best that you potentially can in the market. So people that are going to look at the markets the last two days are going to kick themselves because they had no way to predict what would happen at the end of the month and going into a new month because it was so bad the last couple of weeks. So all of a sudden it's it's up today and up yesterday and people are saying, wow, I should have invested. Now what do you do? It's interesting you say that because I want to show this graphic and this graphic shows if you had $500,000 in January of 1992, how much you would have if you just stayed in, didn't get out, rode the up days, down days, benefited from the up days, let the down days come and go that $500,000 would be worth $7.61 million. However, if you got out and sat on the sidelines and began missing some of those best days, it gets exponentially worse to the point that if you miss 30 of the best days over that 30-year period, you have less money than you put in, $443,000. If you miss 50 of the best days over 30 years because you got panicky and you pulled out every single time, you're at 182,000. Wow. So, I mean, the lesson in that is you look long term, you stay in it during the bad days because it always comes back and comes back better. Is that a fair assessment, Craig? Yeah, that is. Um, And you're never going to pick the bottom. You know, if you pick the bottom of the market, you've gotten lucky. Uh, is, is what I would say. But the statistics you, you talk about really prove out that you can't get in and out and be successful. Now, there are certain times when you feel uneasy and, and you might raise cash and stuff, and we do a little bit of that. But you need to stay invested. The, the, that, the statistics show you that you need to stay fully invested. So there are times when you have a company that you've invested in inside someone's portfolio, you believe they've made a fair amount of money on that, you take a profit and you sit and wait for an opportunity where something else looks of value? Exactly. That's a strategy, but that's a strategy. That's not panic, it's a bad day, I'm gonna lose everything, so I'm getting out. And I'm I'm talking in generalities. You know, if you have an account and you sell some things and you get 15, 20% cash, that's not a big deal. But Mm -hmm. what you're doing then is you're looking for different opportunities in different stocks. So, um, but, but, 
to, to say that you can figure out when the market's topping and you get out and then mm-hmm. you may have gotten lucky on that, but to get back in on the bottom is virtually, you know, throughout the history of the market, no one's been able to do it. Let's talk about this because you all do very strategically move money around, decide when a good time is based on fundamentals of a company, based on a rate of return that you think is fair and good and an opportunity to get into something else. However, the task that you have to recruit new clients, according to this new study that's out that I read, uh, it's not easy, is it? And it's it's made it's been made incredibly difficult by the likes of Bernie Madoff. I mean, we've joked he made off with people's money. Does that scandal and what happened with that and all of the news around it and all of the films and documentaries around it, does that still make it difficult for you today to build trust with people? You know, I don't think you hear a lot about Bernie Madoff anymore when you're just talking to an individual prospect. But the whole subject of all the fraud that's going on in the world in any, in any aspect of life is so much more rampant because of social media. So everybody's very cautious to begin with. But specifically about him, there's been so many years past my thought on that is, is if you're not able to see the guy who's making the decisions, if you're not able to sit down with him and meet with him and look him in the eye and know what his background is, that's a problem. And I think that was the real issue with, with Madoff. He never was out in public meeting with individual clients. As far as I remember, he was creating his own client statements and sending them out and kind of hiding behind his whole organization. Well, he also had some high profile clients for whom he made money. And then they told others how great he was. And therein lies, they were sort of at the, at the top of that Ponzi scheme, which is how it usually works. The ones who are at the the top top of it unknowingly were telling others, oh, he's great. He's made me money. And so he was able to recruit. Um, (laughs) I don't want to offend you by saying this. This may not be news to you. This study reveals that advisors are wedged between politicians and used car salesmen (laughs) when it it comes to um, integrity, how they rank you in terms of integrity. That's... You're part of a family firm founded by your dad who has a stellar reputation and and you both do as well. Is that a hard pill to swallow when you see that sort of public um, proclamation about this business and about advisors? You know, I think that's what what I think I hear from my clients over and over again is the fact that they do trust us and they don't have to worry about, you know, those kind of things. And I think it's important to, you know, there's a couple of things you need to kind of keep in mind. You know, if if you're dealing with somebody young that may be struggling or may be trying to just break into the business, sometimes you can be taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. Um, when you, if, if you do hire an advisor, I would say make sure he's in a, he's in a situation where he's not relying on your account to make an income, you know, um, the, the business needs to be successful enough where there's a long standing record and, you know, that that you're aligned with their interests as well. And I think that that goes a long way, um, you know, and of course, you know, somebody that's been around a long time and done it through you know many, many different cycles. You know, this we, we live in a very, very litigious society. You know, there's lawsuits everywhere. Um, and if you've gone through 
you know, decades and decades without lawsuits, you're probably doing something right. And that's easily found out there if you if you do your research as well. So well here's something else that I think is important. It's it may seem like it's very specific and very down in the weeds, but I think if you're assessing where you should put your money, it's a question you need to ask and it's something you need to research. The idea that there are is it custodial accounts? In other words, your money, the money isn't held here at Hodges in a Hodges account. It's in a third party independent, traceable, trackable account, correct? And, and in your case it's Fidelity is the institution which manages, um, or I shouldn't say manages, holds that money. Yeah. Correct, Clark? Correct. Yes, correct. Yes. And Craig, and, the and, benefit of that is? Well, in the most cases, it's like, in a lot of our cases also, it's, it's a big company like Wells Fargo. And so not only do you have the insurance of our firm and, and uh, actual, you know, SIPC insurance on top of things, um, you know, you have the backing of a big institution like a Wells Fargo or a Fidelity that that backs that as well. So so there's really no risk from that standpoint. But, yeah, I, be wary of somebody that, you know, has their own broker dealer where there's not a, a long standing, you know, r relationship and there's not the back office you know, depth that, that you need and that sort of thing. There are some old school investors who still draw on an old term called churning. And that's where um, in, in, advisors would trade in and out of stocks because they received a commission every time they did that. That no longer happens. It's actually illegal. And that's not how you operate. And I think people need to understand that as well. Yeah. And a point about that, you know, you used to hear about in the 80s and 90s churning and the, and the you know, the, the, the fact that a guy could churn commissions and the government or the, the SEC has basically come out and made most of the industry go to a fee base where you're, there's not commissions, you're just paid on a fee base. Well, there's, there's, there's some conflicts of interest there. And what they're finding out is sometimes you'll get into those accounts and they're not going to manage your account. They're basically just going to put it in maybe indexes or put it in stuff that just goes along with the market. And they're really not looking at your account. So you really need to know who you're dealing with and not that, you know, they're going to churn you, but they're not going to ignore you. If you're just a number and you don't really mean anything in the scheme of their business, they just use your assets as a base to collect fees on, I would be very, very weary of that as well. So I'm going to leave them with those two thoughts, Clark and Craig, and that is on the one hand, if there's a lot of trading going on back in the day, that was called churning. The other extreme is they're getting a flat fee, so they do nothing. Mm -hmm. And you're not seeing any activity as the market shifts and changes. And that should be a red flag if you're you working bet. with an advisor who's, who's doing that. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's just as bad. <laughs> yeah. And I know who they can call. <laughs> for better service. Yeah. Well, we're, 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 we're happy to, uh, to help them. And, and as Clark mentioned, you know, we have the capacity to meet with each individual and, and look at them in the eye and tell them exactly how, be as transparent as we possibly can be and, you know, give them that comfort, if we will. So. Well, and that's the trust on which this firm has been based. And, uh, and that's why we appreciate your advice and your guidance, Clark and Craig. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us for Horsehead's Street Smart Investing, the podcast. We're into season two. We're going to keep it coming. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. Our look at market performance in this episode is of the S&P 500 and is sourced by Bloomberg. To learn more about the topics we covered in this episode, visit HodgesPrivateClient.com. Continue the conversation on our Facebook page. Listen and download this episode and previous episodes on Apple Podcasts and on all other podcast platforms.
Hodges Capital Management Incorporated, HCM, is an investment advisory firm registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC, is a wholly owned subsidiary of Hodges Capital Holdings and serves as investment advisor to the Hodges Funds. HCM is affiliated with First Dallas Securities Incorporated, a broker, dealer, and investment advisor registered with the SEC. This discussion is not intended to be a forecast of future events and should not be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Investing involves risk. Principal loss is possible. Investing in smaller companies involves additional risk, such as limited liquidity and greater volatility. No current or prospective client should assume that information referenced in this communication is a recommendation to buy or sell any security or is a substitute for personalized investment advice from your individual advisor. HCM does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your tax or legal advisor for any related questions. All information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable and is provided as general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. This material was created for informational purposes only, and the opinions expressed are solely those of HCM. HCM shall not in any way be liable for claims and makes no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced and are subject to change without notice.